last few nights, and I tried to figure how to play this one for the benefit of all involved. First consideration. Blackwood Manor was buzzing with unsuspecting mortals, most dear to me on short acquaintance. And by unsuspecting, I mean they've never guessed that their beloved Quinn Blackwood, master of the house, or his mysterious new friend, Lestat, were vampires. And that was the way Quinn willed it with all his heart and soul, that no untoward evil thing would happen because this was his home, and vampire though he was, he wasn't ready to break the ties. Among these mortals were Jasmine, the versatile black housekeeper, a stunner when it comes to looks, more on that as we go along, I hope, because I can't resist, and Quinn's one-time lover, and their little son, Jerome, begat by Quinn before he'd been made a vampire, of course, four years old and running up and down the circular steps just for fun, his feet in white tennis shoes a little too big for his body, and Big Ramona, Jasmine's grandmother, a regal black lady with white hair and a bun, shaking her head, talking to nobody, in the kitchen cooking up supper for God knows who, and her grandson, Clem, a sinewy black man seemingly poured into his feline skin, attired in a black suit and tie, standing just inside the big front door looking up the steps, the chauffeur of the lady of the house just lately lost, Aunt Queen, for whom they were all still painfully mourning, highly suspicious of what was going on in Quinn's bedroom, and with reason. Back the hall upstairs was Quinn's old tutor Nash Penfield, in his bedroom, seated with 13-year-old Tommy Blackwood, who was actually Quinn's uncle by natural blood, but more purely an adopted son. And the two were talking in front of the cold summer fireplace, and Tommy, an impressive young man by anyone's standards, was crying softly over the death of the great lady, to whom I just referred, with whom Tommy had traveled all over Europe for three years. The making of him, as Dickens might have said. Hovering about the back of the property were the shed men, Alan and Joel, sitting in an open lighted portion of the shed, reading the weekly world news and howling with laughter at it, while the television was blaring football. There was a giant limousine in front of the house, and one in the back. As for the big house, let me go into detail. I loved it. I found it perfectly proportioned, which wasn't always the case with American Greek revival houses. But this one, preening on its terrace of land, was more than agreeable and inviting. With its long pecan tree drive, and its regal windows all around. Interior? What Americans call giant rooms. Dustless, manicured. Full of mantel clocks, mirrors, portraits, and Persian rugs, and the inevitable melange of 19th century mahogany furniture that people mix with new reproductions of classic Heppelwhite and Louis XIV styles to achieve the look they call traditional or antique. Eh? and all pervaded by the inevitable drone of massive air conditioning, which not only cooled the air magically, but provided the privacy of sound, which has so transformed the South in this day and age. I know, I know. I should have described the scene before I described the people. So what? I wasn't thinking logically. I was pondering fiercely. I couldn't quite leave behind the fate of Merrick Mayfair. Of course, Quinn had claimed that he saw the light of heaven receiving both his unwanted ghost and Merrick, and for him the scene in this cemetery had been a theophany, something very different from what it was for me. All I saw was Merrick immolating herself. I had sobbed, screamed, cursed. Okay, enough about Merrick, but keep her in mind, because she will definitely be referred to later. Who knows? Maybe I'll just bring her up any time I feel like it. Who's in charge of this book anyway? Now don't take that seriously. 
I promised you a story. You'll get one. The point is, or was, that on account of what was going on in the big house right now, I didn't have time for all this moping. Merrick was lost to us. The vibrant and unforgettable Aunt Queen was lost. It was grief behind me and grief before me. But a huge surprise had just occurred, and my precious Quinn needed me without delay. Of course, nobody was making me take an interest in things here at Blackwood Farm. I could have just cut out. Quinn, the fledgling, had called on Lestat the Magnificent. Yeah, I like that title. To help him get rid of Goblin, and technically, since Merrick had taken the ghost with her, I was finished here and could go riding off into the summer dusk, with all the staff hereabout saying, who was that dashing dude anyway? But I couldn't leave Quinn. Quinn was in a real snare with these mortals, and I was greatly in love with Quinn. Quinn, aged 22 when baptized in the blood.